You are listening to the Open Heaven Church podcast. We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Great morning, everybody. Do you know, you're an amazing church. I just want to say that for a second. You're an amazing church. I am just having already the best time and just want to say thank you for making me feel so welcome. Um, I've met some extraordinary people already. Um, I've met someone who babysat me when I was a toddler. It's pretty exciting, right? Uh, I've met someone um, who my mum came to university in Loughborough a very long time ago. I met someone who was in a small group Bible study with my mum when she was 18. Isn't that exciting? Um, I went for the morning run this morning and realised why you shouldn't go for runs with people who are Loughborough sporty students. (laughs) But was thrilled to be in the veterans group at the back. Solidarity, come on. Um, I also met some uh, students who had to have a significant time prayer ministry because my brother was their youth worker in Sheffield. So we've had a time of intense prayer ministry for that. Um, It's just wonderful to be with you. Thank you for making me feel so welcome Um, as a ministry. My name is Phil Knox. I work for the Evangelical Alliance. Wave me if you've heard of the EA. A few people, a bit more on EA tomorrow morning. Um, but um, I'm also here, part of the leadership team for the local church in Birmingham. Uh, to get it out of your system, everybody say Birmingham. Birmingham. Thank you very much. Beautiful. Um, and, uh, and absolutely, my, um, my heart is, I just, uh, I've always wanted just to see, I became a Christian when I was six years old, grew up in an amazing Christian family. And all I've ever wanted to do since that moment is see other people come to know Jesus. So my heart is, I guess I'm an evangelist. I do want to talk about Jesus. I also uh, feel calling God's place on my life as a Barnabas. I want Barnabas in the New Testament. I want to bring encouragement wherever I go. I hope you're really encouraged by, by me this weekend. Um, but also, kind of one of the things that we do as the Evangelical Alliance is we ask the question, how are people coming to faith in the UK? I think God gives us strategies and visions as to how, how, what's happening. And, and as part of the Evangelical Alliance, we want to take an, a picture of the national landscape and ask what are the common pathways by which people are coming to faith. And so that's my job, really. I ask questions. I do a lot of reading and research and talking and listening and speaking and writing around evangelism and how people are coming to faith. Um, and so to that end, I just want to encourage you uh, with a couple of uh, resources. Um, and um, I, one of the things I do, I'm, I'm an author. I love writing. I love words. I love that God gives us words. And uh, so the first thing I will do is, is talk about um, if you are someone who wants to uh, see your friends come to know Jesus. If you've got friends in your life who you want to share the good news with, um, I'm convinced that stories and relationships are the key to that moment. And so I've written this book called Story Bearer, which is about how we tell our story, how we tell the story of the gospel, and also how we listen to where God is already at work in the lives of our friends. Um, so I'd love you to grab a copy of this. Um, it came out the worst possible week in history to launch a book at uh, the week the pandemic started and all the bookshops closed. Uh, but my wife tells me it's done surprisingly well. Um, and so we'd love to, that would be a, a normally RRP 1099 to you, a fiver this weekend. Um, and this one's really exciting because my next book, hopefully there is not a pandemic coming in 12 days, because my next book comes out in 12 days. You can't get a copy of this anywhere yet, but to you this weekend, you can grab a copy of The Best of Friends. Um, this book is about friendship. I've been absolutely captivated by friendship recently. One of the reasons is I'm an evangelist, and you know, the the way most people come to faith is not through an evangelist like me or a pastor like Ness, it's mostly through a friend, a family member, a colleague, or a neighbor. That's the most significant relationship in someone coming to faith statistically in the UK at the moment. And yet 46% of Christians 
don't know someone well enough to invite them to church. And that's a real challenge. So I'm determined to change the landscape of friendship. I also think we're more lonely than ever before. And I think we, I want to see something happen in our nation and our world around friendships. So I've written this book called The Best of Friends. I think the classic, I went to Sunday school. The classic Sunday school answer to, what the, to whatever the question is, is Jesus. And funnily enough, it's the answer to friendship too. Um, so this is a friendship book based on Jesus. It's got the name of someone you might have heard of, Ness Wilson on the back. She's, she says this is a, a book that needs to be widely read. So there you go. Happy days. So again... To you, to you, a fiver this weekend. Um, there's a pile outside. I'm not going to chase you. Um, there is, um, I promise you, the bailiffs aren't going to come around. Um, if you've got cash on you, you can put it into my jar of justice. Um, and, uh, you know, so if you want to do that, you can. Um, if not, the, the, I'll leave um, a copy of my business card on there. You, if you haven't got cash on you, take a business card, uh, email me at some point, and I can give you some bank details. Um, but it's not about the money. I don't get a penny anyway, so um, take it. No, I'm only joking. Please pay. Uh, Fantastic. Um, I've been praying for. Let's, let's pray that God would speak to us, shall we, this, this weekend about this whole theme of doors wide open. Father, we, we each in our hearts are so desperate to hear from you. Father, as we explore hearts wide open this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Our posture this morning is that we would have hearts wide open. In Jesus' name. Amen. I, um, I do this thing whenever I, whenever I write, uh, where I, uh, I, I nicked it from another author and speaker, who says that when, when, they, when they sit down at their kind of desk to write, they, they light a candle to remind them that the presence of Jesus is with them. And so as I began to think about this weekend, I lit this candle on my desk, and I kind of as soon as the kind of match had been extinguished, um, I had this picture for, well, a couple of pictures, one for today and one for tomorrow. And the first picture I have for you as a church is of a, a rusty combination lock attached to a rusty gate. And I think partly because um, the, the night before, or certainly a couple of nights before, I've been watching The Traitors. Anyone watch The Traitors? I mean, it is, was compulsive television viewing for us in, in the Knox family for a few, few weeks. But they had to do this task on The Traitors where they had to get through this rusty gate with a, with a combination lock. And I felt... As I was exploring this idea of, of, of doors wide open, this was a picture for you as a church. But the, the deal was that they had to work together as a team. And I felt that for you as a church, the first thing I wanted to encourage you with is that your relationships with each other and with the world around you are key to you stepping into the open doors in front of you. To step into the doors wide open, you need hearts that are wide open. I'll say that again because I think... I, I think that, that's the profound thing I want to start with. That to, to step into that doors that are wide open, you need hearts that are wide open. And so to unpack this a bit this morning, I want to explore this from a passage of scripture that has just been the passage that I have clung to in what have been some very, very difficult years of my life. So I don't know what your experience of the last few years have, have, have been like, but for me, this is, I've had a few passages of Scripture. This is the one that I've had to cling to and has meant so much to me. And I felt it's not just been for me, but for the, for the, for the wider church as a whole. So I think Rosalie is going to read this for us. So Rosalie, are you around somewhere? Fantastic. Give Rosalie a round of applause. If you've, uh, if you've got a Bible, would love you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. Rosalie, over to you. 
We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. There are moments in life when we need to be honest with ourselves, with others, and with God. Uh, I had one of these uh, moments recently. I, my, um, I have two, I'm married to Danny. Uh, we've got two little boys, uh, Caleb, who is 10, uh, and Joss, who is four. Caleb's love language is football. Joss's love language is fighting. Say to Joss, do you want to cuddle? He goes, no, Dad, do you want to fight? Um, and, uh, and, and, and recently, uh, in the summer, uh, my, I was uh, sat home wearing shorts, um, and Caleb comes up to me and he says, Daddy, why don't you take some hair and put, take it from your legs and put it on your head? <laughs> I said, thank you very much. I then reminded him that genetics is a terrible thing, and that he needs to enjoy his long Jack Grealish-esque locks while he's got them. Um, I was also reminded, I was once a student. It's really, um, makes me feel very old, because you all look about 12. Um, it makes me feel very odd thinking about when I was a student. I'm really, I'm offended. Everyone, I'm really sorry. You look great, um, but um, but I had one of these moments where um, when when I was kind of when I was like 21 at university, um, my natural habitat was like going out nightclubbing. I'd have a great time. Went to university in Sheffield. Had a great time, and then a couple of years ago, went back to Sheffield um, to um, Leadmill. Went to Leadmill. Been to Leadmill. Come on, I was in the Leadmill, a great club in Sheffield, and um, having a great time. And it was about like one in the morning, and my, I still thought I looked about, you know, mid-twenties probably, you know. And, and this bubble was about to be burst because this guy who looked as young as you look to me now came up to me and looked to me like I'm an alien from another planet. And he says, where are you from? And I said, mate, I'm, I'm from Birmingham. He goes, how old are you? I said, mate, I'm, I'm 37. He goes, mate. You're a legend? 
I said, shake my hands. I shook his hands. It's absolutely true. About every 10 minutes, he kept coming up to me going, Birmingham, 37. Legend. <laughs> and I was, thanks very much. So I, I realized at that moment, I no longer, no longer looked mid-20s. There are moments in our life when we have to be real. And what I love about Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that it's real. It's writers are real. You don't have to pretend before God. Your heart can be open before him. He sees our heart and he still loves us. And we can be real. I'm, I'm reading my way through the Psalms at the moment. And, and each morning, I, I think this morning was all about kind of the, these, these enemies pursuing David. And God, David just saying, God, kill him. Just kill him, God. And I'm like, wow, that's honest. That's raw. That's real. And God's encouragement to us today is to be honest and raw and real with him to be authentic, to open our hearts. Do you know, we live in such a world where hearts are closed. And yet the example of the Bible, the example of its writers, is that we can have open hearts. Because this passage is, is real. Paul's comparison of what we're like is not a flattering one. His first comparison is that, is that we are like jars of clay. It's not a flattering comparison. Jars of clay are are fragile, they're, they're easily broken, easily cracked. By the way, this is also not a jar of clay. I'm not that strong. It's a jar of plastic. I was very disappointed when it arrived in the post. But, all, but isn't this interesting, actually, how we can be around others, often at church? We can want to portray a reality that's not true about who we are and how we're doing. And, you know, there's some people who come up to, one us, up to us on a Sunday, and it's okay to say, when they say, how are you doing? It's okay to say, I'm doing, I'm doing all right. That's okay. But there are some people with whom we have to be real and authentic and vulnerable and really open our hearts. Because the, I guess the flattering comparison in this passage of, of, of who we are doesn't end there. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side. Anyone else feel hard-pressed this morning? I think as the circumstances of our world swirl around us, so that the pressures of, of, of work and studentdom and, and life and, and family, we can feel hard-pressed, can't we? I promise I'm an evangelist and it, good news is coming. It goes on and says that we're perplexed. Sure, I'm not the only one who's asked the question of God in the last few years. God, what is going on? On the way here, I spoke to a friend I've not spoken to in a while, and, and she was talking about the pain in her life, and she used some pretty fruity language to say, I have asked God over and over again, what is happening in my life? We're perplexed. Verse 9, persecuted. Now, don't hear me wrong on this. We, we don't suffer the same levels of persecution as some of our brothers and sisters around the world. I can't imagine, I'm trying to think of a funny anagram like E-H-1, e e AF1, Afghan, church in Afghanistan are having their weekend away in such security this, this morning. We don't suffer that same level of persecution. But there is an increasing chill factor towards Bible-believing Christians in our nation at this moment. Still in verse 9, struck down. Bible scholars have looked at this phrase, struck down, and, and reckon that Paul is talking about a kind of anxiety, a, a deep oppression or depression over his life. Verse 10, we always carry around death in our body. 
for all of us over the last few years, we have known people close to us who have died. Sociologists say that we're living in the, in the UK at the moment with something called mortality salience, which means that we're, we feel closer to death than before. It's normally reserved for times of war. Death feels closer. And yet what I find most extraordinary about this passage is who's writing it. So the person who's referring to us as jars of clay, of, of, of persecutors, of hard-pressed, perplexed, struck down, carrying death in our body is Paul. If anyone shouldn't be like this, it's Paul because he's like a super apostle. Planting churches all over the Middle East and South Europe. He's at the top of his game professionally and yet he's clearly not in a good place. I believe, therefore, the deep encouragement of this passage is to be real, to be open, to open our hearts to those around us. And my first encouragement for you today, and maybe and we'll stop to just pray in a moment, it is for some of us today, actually, the first encouragement is even this weekend, we need to find someone we trust and open our hearts to them and say, I've not, maybe not told anyone this, but I'm really struggling. So on two sides, I want you to be prepared, if that's you, to have a conversation with someone this weekend. But equally, I want you to be prepared to be that person who someone says, I'm not doing okay. Will you stop and pray? So let's just take a moment and just invite you in your heart. If your heart's racing a bit, if your the spirit is just speaking to you through those words, okay not to be okay, we are hard-pressed, we are perplexed, persecuted struck down, if the Lord is just stirring something in you to be vulnerable and authentic, Holy Spirit, would you provoke us, encourage us, speak to us, and help us find the right moment and the right person to talk to, to open our heart to, and to pray with this weekend. in the stillness, be honest with God. Ask him to bring to mind the conversation you need to have. But also, make your heart open to someone coming to you and asking for prayer. May it be a two-way thing. Amen. As I said earlier, I, um, I've been really captivated by friendship recently. I, I really do believe it's the need of the hour. I, um, as I've spoken to friends, Christian and non-Christian, about friendship, come across a lot of people who say I have some good mates but I wouldn't have anyone who's really close to me somewhere between one in five and one in three men say they have no close friends 40% of young adults say they always or often feel lonely how on earth have we reached a stage in our world where we have a minister in the UK who's responsible for loneliness we are more connected than ever before and yet quantity does not equal quality and I believe our world, your communities in Loughborough, your town is crying out for relationship. 
and your open heart, your vulnerability, your authenticity, your hospitality is the first key to open the doors, to step into the open doors that God has for you, to fulfill the purposes of God for you. Open doors are stepped into by those with open hearts. And we read the church in Corinth was a bit like this. Paul is clearly in the midst of a, a challenge within the church where there has been a, a letter that's caused great division within the church. And so throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, he's, he's encouraging reconciliation. He's encouraging relationship. He's, he has a similar passion for friendship. In, in, in that famous passage in, in chapter 5, he, he says that, uh, that, that God, God has reconciled the world himself through Christ and then has given us the, 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 the ministry of reconciliation. We read in chapter 6, uh, verse 11, that, that um, Paul writes, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. Paul goes on in chapter 7 to encourage the church to make room for us in your hearts. Open wide your hearts also. And I really believe, as I was writing this, that there are people around you that this is their heart cry. Their heart cry to you, even though they might not express it or know it, is to, is to say to you as a church, open wide your hearts to us. As a church, I, I believe God is calling you to make room for those who are maybe difficult, who are on a journey, who, who might cause disruption within, within your family. And it will be a cost there. Where my wife and I minister is in a, a, a challenging area within Birmingham in many ways. We're in the top 2% deprivation in, in, in the country. My parents moved to, to the, my dad was a um, very wealthy solicitor and he, a uh, senior partner in a law firm, but felt called to live amongst uh, the poor in Birmingham. And, and, and my wife and I continue to live, on, live, in, live in, in the estate where we are. And, and often there are, you, you come across people who make your life uncomfortable. But there is something about the gospel that causes us to open our hearts to people who aren't always the same as us. And for us as, as, as a church in the UK at the moment, we need to broaden our horizons and, and open our hearts wider if we're to step into the open doors that God has for us. It will be a stretch for you. But it's worth it. Because the doors are open in front of you. And we have in our hearts and in our hands the most contagious message of hope the world has ever known. And there is a world in darkness that needs to know the light of Jesus. There's a world in death that needs to know the life of Jesus. There's a world in fracture that needs to know the love of Jesus. And God gives us the message and the ministry of reconciliation to a world that so desperately needs it. And in some ways, the, the antidote to the bad news of being in jars of clay that we are jars of clay come in the first five words of this passage, that we are not jars of clay, the first five words of this passage, but we have this treasure. We are Jesus followers today. We are not just jars of clay because we have a treasure in our hearts and that changes everything. There's been a lot of talk about hope recently, hasn't there? So we've emerged from this pandemic as a world. That we, there's been a lot of talk about hope. But here's the deal about hope. Hope is only ever, ever any good if it's in the right direction. I'm going to watch a little video clip.
Step up here on this chair and close your eyes. Alright, and then everybody fill in. And we're going to ask you to fall and then they will catch you. So you have to trust us. I'm going to count to three. Just relax and fall. Okay? One, two, three. No, it's not! in the right direction and uh, <laughs> recover the room and I want I want to be really clear with us as Christians this morning I want to be really clear with us because we live in a really comfortable western world in loads of ways it's really tempting to put our hope in a load of other places our deepest hope as Christians is not in our sports team our deepest hope as Christians is not in economic recovery not in having a comfortable life around a mortgage our deepest hope as Christians is not in, in NATO or world peace or reconciliation in Ukraine. Our deepest hope as Christians is, is not in a, a new government or, or a new monarch. Our deepest hope as Christians has a name. And his name is Jesus. See, see, in the beginning was the author. The answer to the question not yet posed. Solution to a mystery not yet disclosed. Liberator to a regime not yet imposed. There in the background as the story unfolds. Holding his run from times of old, waiting as priests, poets, and prophets foretold of the author of all love and life and all that is good. And then, bang! In a moment that is cosmically linkable, the author becomes unthinkably shrinkable. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Because the author comes down to meet us, the king of the world becomes a fetus. And from Judean hills, the story was broadcast and some logged on, hooked up, tuned in. And to those who did with a wireless connection, the author promised life and resurrection. Weaving tales, leaving trails, breaking jails, removing scales from people's eyes opened to a kingdom where humanity hails the author. But then, impaled. You see, love is just words until action prevails. And this point is proven by bloods drawn by nails. And squaring up sin and death, the author wailed, it is finished. But that's just the finale of season six. Because in season seven's a box full of tricks. The author smashes death in the face with a spade because hell cannot hold his loving tirade. And for 2,000 years, the story continues. Get yourself plugged in like there's nothing to lose. So reach for your settings and turn your Li-Fi high. Because the author is still speaking. His heart is still beating. And the story is love and with it he freezes. Because the author has a name. And his name is Jesus. And we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal body. When your hope is in the right place, when the treasure is in your jar of clay, it changes everything. So we live with our hearts wide open, knowing that we are fragile and vulnerable, but through our fragility and vulnerability, our open hearts lead to open doors. And we are good news people in a bad news world around us. Because the passage goes on to encourage us that this, this hope, this treasure that we have is not just for us. 
Sometimes we become self-indulgent as Christians and, and keep it for ourselves. But Paul's really clear. It is written in verse 13. I believe, therefore, I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. There's something about the treasure that won't stay within. There's something about when our hearts are open that something spills out of it to, to the world around us through the doors that God opens for us. I realized this recently in my son, Caleb, who um, is an absolute star, loving, really great. And, uh, and um, when Daddy's first book came out, um, Storybearer, he was determined to stop reading Narnia and start reading my book. There was absolutely no parental pressure. Um, and uh, I was a bit gut, if I'm honest, I, 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 didn't, I decided too quickly, I was a bit eager to read it with him, but then realized that some things in the book I hope would probably want him to be a bit older to realize about me, but never mind. We read the book together, and uh, one of the things the book encourages us to do is to pray for a few friends to come to faith, to write a list of a few friends and pray for them every day to become Christians. And Caleb, in his manipulative eight-year-old way, decided to write a list of every single person in his class to become a Christian. Which delayed his bedtime somewhat. And then one day, he comes back from school, and he says, Daddy, 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 something amazing happened today. I'm like, what? He goes, Jacob became a Christian. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. I said, tell me what happened. He said, well, went up to him, right? And I'm already thinking this is bad news. <laughs> went up to him and said, Jacob... Do you want to live forever? <laughs> Jacob says, yes. Caleb says, all right, got to become a Christian then. Jacob says, okay. Caleb says, all right, you're now a Christian. Now, for, <laughs> for the record, that's not how the book says to do evangelism, just in case you were thinking of not parting with five pounds for a copy of Storybearer. And you know what? If he's doing evangelism like that when he's 28, not 8, we've got a problem. But it shows you the, the, the fact that he gets it. Gets it. Gets that his heart is, what God's done in his heart is not for him, that he's to open his heart to those around him. I believe, therefore, I have spoken. But the passage goes further in verse 16. Encourages, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart, church. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Do you know, there's a, there's a holy connection between our weakness and God's strength. There's a holy connection between our openness, the openness of our hearts, our own vulnerability and our authenticity, and God doing his best work in us and through us. There's a truth at the heart of the Christian faith that there is no life without death. And I've seen this most recently through my mum, who I didn't realise that some of you uh, at this weekend knew. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, three years ago, we, uh, we found out that mum's cancer that she'd been battling with was terminal. And so that my memories of those first few months of lockdown uh, were really hard because each day I would go and um, stand at the end of my mum's driveway with my then one-year-old and, and would watch her physically deteriorate. But at the same time, this is a woman who was a young girl trusted in Jesus. She put treasure in her jar of clay. She had hope in her heart. And uh, her hope was in the right direction. And, and in those last few months of my mum's life, I saw someone who 
was outwardly wasting away. Yet inwardly, she was drawing dividends from that spiritual bank account that she'd invested in for years. That spiritual bank account was giving her presence in her presence and hope for the future. And then she did something that I would recommend you all do if you ever know you're going. And um, she recorded a little video on her iPad um, to be played at her funeral. She, uh, she always wanted the last word, did my mum. And uh, she got it. And so she did this amazing video, having to preach the gospel at her own funeral. And she, she, deter- she, she uh, we had to, meet, had to do it on Zoom. We couldn't have a physical funeral on Zoom. About 300 screens turned up. And um, uh, she got to communicate what Jesus meant in her dying moments. And um, because she wasn't around to stop me, I'm an evangelist. I had the last word. And uh, led a cheeky little response off the back of my mum's immaculate sermon. And um, uh, then at the end of the Zoom meeting, clicked leave meeting and uh, turned my phone back on and had a message from a friend who mum had prayed for for many years come to faith. And it said, Bill, I prayed that prayer with you. I believe Jesus died for me. And here's the final encouragement of this passage. Fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You will never know the outcome of the prayers that you pray. You'll never know the the impact in many ways of opening your heart so that the church might step into the open doors in front of it. You'll never know the impact of the invitations you make to your Alpha course, the conversations you have around the table at Alpha, the, the smiles that you bring, the presence of Jesus within you, in your workplace, in your student dorm, in your streets and homes. You'll never know the impact. Fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And the invitation of this morning is to say, Lord, can we partner together in this? As I open my heart, would you take my broken, fragile, not altogether there jar of clay, but because there's treasure in it, as I open it, step into the purposes that you have for me. We're going to watch as we close. Everglow. You really want to come on stage and play this song with me? Okay, let's, there's a young man here who wants to play piano on the song. Because... Uh, I think it's important uh, for Britain and Germany to work together, so let's, let's try and, let's try, let's try and uh, keep relations in Europe good by, by having a good You sure you want to do this, young man? Okay, man, all right. All right, so here you go. I don't know what his name is, but it's a beautiful young person who's going to come on and play into this song ever go. And this song we'd like to send that love to the world, whether that's to Paris or to London or to wherever you might feel. How you doing, man? Okay, this is Ferdinand, everybody. You don't need to film it. It's okay. It's going to be, a, it's going to be filmed. <laughs> everybody's filming it. You sure you, want, you sure you want to play, man? Thank you for coming.
So, so you know where you know where it starts, right? Okay. All right, let's try it, man. This is called Everglow. This is a, a German-British union. Let's go. Let's keep it together in Europe. All right. <laughs> let's go. They say people come, they say people go, this particular diamond was extra special, and though you might be gone, the world may not know, still I see a celestial, and I should but It's also a beautiful picture of our partnership with God as we open our hearts. There's a moment, imagine the bravery it took to hold that sign up and go, can I, can I join in? And yet, when we do, God calls us out the crowd. And you know, I think the other beautiful thing is Chris Martin could play that song better than the German guy. And, and in some ways, God doesn't need us. Right? I, I think sometimes we can have this Messiah, God, this Messiah complex that God somehow, we're the answer to God's problems. God doesn't need us. And yet in the beautiful economy of the kingdom, God chooses to partner with us to, to bring light into darkness. And as we open our hearts, that's what it's like. There's a couple of other beautiful moments I love in that. I love the moment where he gets his phone out. <laughs> and Chris Martin's like, you don't, mate, you don't need to film it. It's going to be filmed. And the truth is, the truth is that when we open our hearts, the world notices. As you as a church, open yourself up to those around you. You make yourself vulnerable. You put yourself out there. But yet people notice. The world notices. Second thing I love is the, um, the moment where he kind of, do you know what I mean? He fudges the first couple of notes and doesn't quite get it right. And, and, and I love the moment where kind of Chris Martin comes and puts his hand on his shoulder and says, slow, slow. So often when we step out, we, we, we don't get it right. And yet in those moments, God comes alongside and teaches us to go at his pace. But unless we open our hearts, unless we step out, we don't get to have that moment with God. And finally, I, uh, I love the, the line in the song, Chris Martin puts his hand on uh, young Ferdinand's shoulder and says, this particular diamond is extra special. Hear me absolutely right on this. If Loughborough is utterly transformed by what you do, God will not love you anymore. Or any less. But I have noticed as I have opened myself up, as, as I've been said to Lord, here I am, send me. And had a go in mission, had a go with friends, had a, had a go at opening my own heart up. I, I, I've heard the words of the great reassurance alongside the great commission. When God says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. 
alongside go and make disciples of all nations. That God is not, doesn't love us anymore, but there is something special about his presence when we step out and, and open our hearts before him and with others. And so my invitation to you this morning is, will you open your heart to those within your church family, to those outside of it? God's encouragement to you as a church, and I think this is an, ind- an individual thing as well as a corporate thing. Your relationships really matter. Invest in them. Pursue Jesus. And open your hearts to those around you. I invite you to stand if you're able. And let's take a moment, shall we? To press into this passage, to press into God's invitation. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today? Would you affirm the action that we're to take? Our first step this morning is to open our hearts to the living God. And let his Holy Spirit speak. Sense Spirit if anyone the first thing that maybe God wants to just inspire is imagination in some of us and as we open our hearts the first thing that, that kind of God's began to do was to just give us a, a divine imagination for what might be possible. And just as I've been speaking, I, I believe that God's been just sowing ideas and, and encouraging our spirit to connect with him and the, the spirit of creativity that that spoke the world into being and, and created sunsets and the universe, the stars into sky, that, that same spirit of creativity is alive in this room. And, and for some of us, God, he's giving us ideas and, and encouraging us to step into that a little bit like the guy in the crowd who put sign in the air. That was just an idea to, to, to step out and to open our hearts in a way that, that will be transformative around, for those around us. So, Father, if that's what you're saying, I pray that you continue to speak and my ideas turn to action and may a dangerous kingdom action lead to life and hope come Holy Spirit Sense that for some there's a, a moment of, as I've been talking about hope, and hope being in the right place. As I was talking about that and the, the various places that some of us can put hope, you knew in your heart that all of your hope at the moment isn't in Jesus, and there are other 
God's on the throne of your life. And I just wonder whether for you, you need a moment to open your heart to God and repent this morning. And say, God, I'm sorry for where this other thing has climbed onto the throne of my life. Just picture in your heart the throne of God, throne of your heart. And, and for some of us, Jesus has been replaced by achievement, sport, money, a relationship. And God's gentle invitation this morning is to remove that idol from our throne. And to enthrone the King of Kings back over the place where he resides. So I'm not going to make a public thing of it, but I just invite you in your heart. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry where my fantasy football team or my addiction to Facebook or desperation for promotion or patio has just got in the way. This morning, I dethrone that hope and choose to put my hope back in the one whose name is hope. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us into all truth. this moment. sense that for some, um, as we were talking about being hope to the world around us, you began to think of some people who don't know Jesus yet, and God was just stirring within you, almost this kind of picture of like a whirlwind, God was stirring a picture, a kind of a, a passion and a heart within you for those in your life who don't know Jesus yet. For some of you, it's family members, for some of you, it's friends, for some of you, it's course mates, for some of you, it's guys for sports teams, and and like a whirlwind, God wants to stir within you a passion that they would know Jesus. Yet his encouragement to you is that no one is too far from the heart of the Father. And so just as my son Caleb began to write a list of a load of people, I think that for some of us, God's encouraging us just to be passionately and violently committed to praying for our friends to come to faith. And who knows where that leads.